Welcome to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And we return with another episode about our Baltimore Orioles, who are not playing quite as well as the last time we recorded, but still really competitive. Uh, since the last time we recorded, they've gone seven and five, winning record. Uh, as we record, they are currently starting off a series with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And it's not looking like a W, but that They're could struggling. change. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, looking like it might be an Otani cycle. We'll see. Right. Jesse's very excited about that. He kind of is, <laughs> He's kind of actively started rooting against the Orioles at this point for this game, I think is fair to say. I'm not. No, no, no. That is not fair to say. I'm not rooting against but, the Orioles. Well, when Shohei, I, what if Shohei comes up with bases loaded? You want him to hit a double. Right. That's a really that's a really tough one. Did did we come back in the game or is it do are we still stuck at Well, that's runs? that's you to answer. I don't know. If we come yeah, back, close. you would you would what would you do? If it was tied or close. If it was like a two-run game. Uh, then I then I'd have to say we got to get him out, but <laughs> Okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Ah, it's so it's so tough because it's also history and you know the Orioles will probably hopefully recover from one loss. So I would I hope know. so. I, I'm indecisive. Yeah. Okay. And, it, and and if we can't recover from one loss, then we don't really deserve the playoffs anyway, you know. Yeah. I mean I I yeah, I would hope we'd be resilient enough oh, to deal Cedric with... just hit a bomb. Yeah. Cedric Mullins is which we're going I mean he's like our first topic. Do we just want to get oh into my this? God. I, I think this is a segue. I gotta say, this is very reminiscent of the old days when we used to record. I feel like we have been recording, and normally the Orioles are not playing, so we wouldn't be yeah. live commentating. And now we've we've either regressed or you know <laughs> or found this really great yeah. thing we used to do about just <laughs> talking about a game as it's happening live. So I don't know. Depends on your perspective. Yeah, I, I we definitely haven't gotten better. So. Maybe we have regrets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, our Orioles, they're good right now. It's They're still one of the best teams in the league. They took two out of three from the Rays this past week. Uh, the only series they've lost since we, we last chatted was in Atlanta, which, you know, no shame in losing to the Braves. They're really good, uh, and uh, their pitching is ridiculous, and the Orioles kind of dealt with Max Fried in game one and, and you know, dealt – they battled them. They battled them. They looked pretty good. So, well, let's talk about and our I, first. Are you are you making excuses, Tyler? That it's okay to lose two out of three to the Braves. Here's what I'll say. You know, the Orioles were so good in April, and even to this point, because seven and five—that's a nice little stretch. They can be kind of mediocre from here on out, and still be a have a very good record at the end of the year. You know what I mean? Like they're already right. twelve games above five hundred as we record. Maybe eleven after today. They don't have to be like crazy awesome for the rest of the summer to be in the hunt for things, you know? The the larger point to me, though, is that, you know, this is the best team in the National League. We, you know, we won the first game in the game that Spencer Strider pitched. We had a lead going into the eighth inning or whatever it was when Coulomb gave up the go-ahead home run. And, you know, that says we are just playing them fully. So the swing of one game going either direction doesn't really matter in yeah, the grand scheme the, of the things. Ga- right. The games we lost were very close and yeah, no, it's fine. 
So, so that's why it's fine to lose two I, of three. I will say, <laughs> you know, we did we did have a good approach against Freed. We did get a little lucky. You know, there were a couple errors Freed had that kind of yeah. exacerbated the situations for him and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, anyway, overall, I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, hanging right with him. Then two out of three from Tampa, can't argue there. And then two out of three against a Pittsburgh team that is struggling right now. Although they started the year really good, but still was a good team two weeks ago. <laughs> so yeah, you know, impressive <laughs> in its own way. We um, just got I, dominated in our loss. Well, yeah. Mitch Keller's good. Pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like we just kind of glossed over the Rays series right there. I, I think that was absolutely monumental. I think that was more important for us than the Brave series or been or more important than the Brave series was and more important than looking at this on the grand scale. Like they are undoubtedly the best team in the major leagues and they came into Camden Yards and walked away with a series loss. So, so I, I think that is really, really, really huge. Can can I just say so I was hyped Please. about it, of course. I was hyped about it when we beat them two out of three. I mean, the Yankees just played the Rays over the weekend that took two out of three from them. So I was kind of, it, it dampened my excitement a little bit, but, you know, maybe the Orioles weakened them, you know, and that kind of thing. But, yeah. uh, so, uh, but, <laughs> I, <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, Eli. I mean, it, it was a, as, you know, sort of as big a series as a series in May can be. And it, it was sort of a statement series for the Orioles. Um, you know, I don't think in two weeks uh, anyone's really going to remember or care that much. Um, and those were all very close games, too, that could have gone either way. But, um, yeah, but it was it was definitely impressive and nice. And, uh, I mean, the, I mean, the Rays have looked invincible so far. So to take right. two out of three is is great. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it it just seemed like you were minimizing our victories and playing up the losses. I think so. Jesse. I don't gets, know I, where you got that from, but okay. You get in your own head a little bit. I think you start you start a thought with like very positive, and then you ended it like, well, actually, we, <laughs> we kind of suck. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like, oh. and it's like we're the second best record in the major leagues right now. You know. <laughs> okay. I think also look. I mean, I think as. Oriole fans of the age that we are, all three of us, uh, we're all very young people, obviously. And I don't know what I'm trying to say. But uh, most of our <laughs> lives, the Oros have been very bad, except for that 2012 to 2016 stretch, which is minuscule in our entire lives. Uh, I think we're just like hardened to the Orioles being bad. And so you kind of naturally protect your <laughs> your feelings <laughs> against any positive vibes that could just, possibly just emanate. constantly hedging your bets. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I know I thinking back to like 2012, that whole season like felt fake the entire time. You're like, well, this is, they're going to collapse. <laughs> they're going to fall right. apart. It just is going to happen. And then they didn't. And then it was like, Oh, in 2014, we're going to win the division. Like, what are you talking about? So this like being the second best team in baseball for a little while, that just, it feels not real until I guess yeah. it is. We're just not used to it. So I mean, Listen to Yankee fans talk about like lose going like 87 and whatever, 79 right. or whatever. That's like unacceptable to them. But to us, that'd be a dream most seasons. So I think that's part I, of it, at least for me. I, I have a I have a couple quick reactions to that. Uh, the go. first 
uh, the first is I still remember. I think it was in 2005 when the Orioles got out to that yes. great start. Lima's right. Only, yes. Yeah, and I remember listening to the Orioles game on the radio when we fell out of first place, you know, and I remember how much, how hard that was to go through and to experience. Um, And the second thing at risk of, you know, seeming like I'm dampening the situation even more. um, But I do also want to point out, uh, you know, being the second best team in the league record wise is great. I will say, if you look at our run differential, though, right, uh, we are a lot further down in the league than that. So we we got to be fifth. Or, I didn't count, uh, but we got to be fifth or sixth or something. Just looking, because uh, the Orioles are plus thirty, Tampa's one twenty, Minnesota's plus forty three, Texas is ninety seven. Uh, Braves are 52 and the Dodgers are 56. So however many teams I just mentioned there, that's I mean, but still, uh, like, we're after that. Okay, I mean, so yeah, top, that, top six or seven in MLB. Right. No, I mean, yeah, that's that's good. It's it's not second best good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all, all you got to do is look at the expected wins and losses on MLB.com's like standings. It has the Orioles expected right. wins and losses as 23 and 17. So which is three games better than their actual record of 26 and 14. So that gives you like a barometer of like how good they actually are. And three games no. worse. Three games worse. Yeah, I'm sorry. Three record. games worse. Yeah. But you know, that's got 2012 vibes a little bit. You know, that team was not as good as their record indicated, but they had a really good bullpen. They won a lot of close games. This team's doing a lot of the same things. And I'm fine with that. I, you know, it, you, you build up this cushion with those things and call them luck or whatever they've won the games that they've won and now you move forward and you say, okay, we need to get a better starting pitcher to improve the, the uh, rotation. We need to call up Colton Kowser in June because he's crushing it at AAA, and we could use a right fielder instead of putting Taryn Vavra out there every other day. You know, there's right. things the Orioles can do to make this sort of record. They actually have firmed up as the season Stand goes up. on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yep. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think there's some valid, validity to that for sure. We just um, have to do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Right, right, right. Um, but all right, well, let's get into our topics. So uh, this isn't a three-hour long podcast. We've got <laughs> we've got some speed of the game uh, rules uh, in place <laughs> for us as well. Yeah, right. Um, so let's talk. The first topic, of course, Cedric Mullins. Uh, he hit a home run as we are recording the podcast, which is amazing. He also hit for the cycle. Literally, literally just made a diving play in center field, too. <laughs> yes. And he did that yeah. when he hit for the cycle, too. He had a nice diving catch as well. But Cedric Mullins hits for the cycle against the Pirates, seventh Oriole to do so. Um, Jesse, you, you put together our outline here, and you have a, the first topic question as should we have expected that Mullins would accomplish this at some point? Are you kind of saying that Mullins is the type of guy to hit for the cycle? A Felix exactly. PA type skill set? If he, he will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say I would put him a little uh, as a better player than sure. Felix PA, uh, even though I did like Felix PA a lot. Of but um, I mean, yeah, if you look at our roster, um, I mean, Cedric Mullins is the perfect candidate for a cycle situation. So, yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at. And um, he has he has some power. He has speed. He can hit a triple. No problem with that. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. So that is sort of what I was getting at. You know, is it expected? Uh, should we have foreseen this coming? Right. And sure. I think it makes sense to have. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a cycle is a bit of a not a freak happening, but you know, it's yeah. There's an amount of randomness <laughs> that you like. You, you can never foresee or expect somebody to hit for the cycle, but because a, tri- a yeah, triple it, is kind of random, like right. I don't know. I mean, he's fast, and that it's, helps it's, hit a triple. But it's based on positioning of the outfield, yeah. and you know, like. Yeah, if if the ball ricochets and confuses right. the right fielder or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, but like just in general, you know, like being capable of hitting a triple and hitting a triple on the given night that you go ahead and you also do these other things is, I don't know, it's just so random that yeah, I, I don't think there's any like predictability to it. Well, and hitting the home run to, to clinch the the cycle is pretty cool right. like that was very because cool. you know it's in his brain when he walks to the plate like right i need to go deep for this <laughs> to happen and he does and i mean that's pretty awesome so ice in his veins there which is pretty neat. right it, it's it was not like coming up and needing a single right sure yeah go ahead uh, he's just interesting how much of his power comes from like off-speed pitches on the outer third and kind of wrapping around them like that like i think that was a change up down and away and he just like gets along and somehow comes around these, but still maintains, you know, like a good plane and gets the barrel on it. Yeah. I mean, he's just the way he's playing in general, like he's looking a lot like his 2021 self, like not quite to that level, but it's pretty close. He's hitting lefties again, which he didn't really do right. last year after doing it well in 2021. Like, you know, I don't know the specifics of what he's doing differently, but he just looks like, that 2021 version, he looks like a leadoff hitter again, which last year, a lot of what he was doing didn't feel leadoff hitterish, you know? So it's just, and I think he's leading the team in RBIs, like out of the leadoff spot, which is wild. Right. Um, which some of that is because Mateo was so good early and he was hitting lower in the lineup, setting the table kind of for, for Mullins. But yeah, I mean, I think he's like a top five center fielder and it's sort of gone under the radar. Um, but the Orioles have like a luxury in Cedric Mullins that a lot of teams would kill to have. Um, and he's under team control for a couple more years. I think three more seasons or at least two more seasons. Which, three more. Yep. I mean, that's kind of amazing um, and lines up perfectly with what the Orioles are trying to do here the next couple of years. And like, if you can say we've got an all-star center fielder at the top of our lineup for the next three years, that's a huge like checkbox ticked that the Orioles don't even have to think about. Um and it's huge. I mean, he's playing great. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about him. Yeah. I, I, so the, the other thing, I mean, a couple things. So I would just question a little bit the under the radar thing. I mean, yes, kind of quietly he has having a very good season, but he was an all-star. He did play for the U.S. in the WBC, uh, you know, this off season. So I, I definitely think people are noticing him and, and, and are aware of, of his ability um yeah yeah i mean i think you know if you if you ask a a fan to list off like the top center fielders in baseball i don't know that cedric mullins comes to the top of their mind you know right he's only had a couple good seasons so he's still pretty early in his career you know well i mean you know he's like 27 or 28 or something like he's he's you know right but good major league seasons i'm Sure. Sure. I just, yeah, I just think he's an Oriole, which isn't going to get you at the top of a lot of people's minds. And he had that, he was really bad at the start of his career. And then, you know, he felt like a guy for after last year, felt like a guy that could have been 
sort of a one and done all-star type. And now he's following it up again and feels like, I mean, he feels like all-star level to me right now. You know, I, I, I'm sure Adley will go and maybe Mullins and and one of the relievers, Cano or Batista, I think has got to go. And, you know, then you start getting to a point where only so many Orioles are going to go, but yeah, just feels the, great. The other thing I was, I was also thinking about is, I mean, yes, it, it would be amazing uh, to have him just lead off all the time. I'd has like tinkered around with his spot in the order a little bit, you know, I don't know what you guys think about it or if we want to have that discussion, but um, I mean, it has been noteworthy for me um, because Mullins is such a consistent player and uh, it's kind of, it's a little bizarre to me. He gets moved around sort of in the way that he does, even though there is some logic to it, but. Yeah. I'll echo one thing that Tyler said earlier, like his on base skills have gone back up and if you're looking at that super good 2021 season his OBP was 360 this year is 359 so and his batting average is actually like 25 points lower than it was that year so you could kind of say that his on base skills have gotten even better um and, and so like because of that you know he's second on the team only below Adley in terms of in terms of OBP I, I think that he's a great leadoff hitter and you know, while Mateo was on his tear, there like was some debate. It kind of made sense that, okay, if you were facing a lefty, Mullins was going to be a little bit weaker. You could potentially play around with that a little bit. But I think that given the current standing of the team with Mateo struggling, uh, it, yeah, the consistency and like Cedric's the kind of guy who just comes to play every day. Uh, I've got no issues with him being lead off every day. Yeah, absolutely. He's been great. Um, and then Eli, you've kind of been manning our Twitter for a while there. You did send out a tweet that went like semi-viral in the Orioles Twitter sphere. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, by our definition. <laughs> yeah, like at least 100 um, retweets. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just said that if uh, if somebody were to ask me that I would consider Cedric Mullins the heart of the Orioles. Um, and I don't know. I, I said to Jesse and Tyler individually at different times, but I said like, I wasn't even sure if I fully like was behind that. I obviously like most of our tweets get zero to three likes. So, you know, like you never really expect something to blow up like that, but uh, it was after the cycle. So maybe people were inspired the way I was. Um, I don't know, was, but uh... you know, to me, like Adley is this spark plug and obviously he's super exciting but I think that Cedric, just through a combination of, you know, like having multiple years of service time already, he's been with the Orioles. He has been a like really, truly terrible player in his life. Yeah. And, you know, like made the major leagues, got sent down, totally like scrapped his previous identity, totally reinvented himself, came back up, all-star season. I, you know, like the Orioles first 30-30 season, he just seems like he's the guy who is kind of the like I don't know heart in terms of like steady you know like beat that the Orioles kind of march to I, I think that Adley is obviously more talented I think that Adley is kind of like I don't know I used the word spark plug earlier I think Adley's the spark plug and kind of I don't know you can kind of talk about the heart and the soul like at maybe Adley's more of the soul of the Orioles um and Cedric's more of the heart but that was kind of where I was coming from and yeah just like seeing him this year it 
it's been like so astounding you know every single ball that's like even remotely catchable in the gap he's there he's laying out you know he has been hitting the cover off the ball he's just been phenomenal all year and like steadily phenomenal um just yeah just love watching him i don't know it just we should take the time to appreciate him i feel like i haven't been the last year and a half or so so yeah i mean i think it's it's uh sort of where i i think that it comes from is that Mullins was on some really terrible Orioles teams too. Like he was bad. The Orioles were bad. You know, he's a homegrown player. Adley's also homegrown, but you know, Adley was a number one overall pick. Cedric was, I think a 13th round pick out of Hamill university baseball powerhouse. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> you know, there's some of that, like it, it, it gets him into more like fan favorite territory of beat the odds. I compared him before we talked before the pod to Trey Mancini in that way. Mancini came, went from note, Came from Notre Dame, obviously a big name school, but not exactly big for baseball. I think Trey was an eighth round pick. Again, you're not really expected to make the big leagues as an eighth round pick. The fact that Trey has now spent, you know, almost a decade in the big leagues, that's huge. Mullins has sort of a similar backstory there. Um, You know, it just kind of gets you more ingrained to the fans because he feels more like a little secret that the local fan base has versus the entire country knowing who this guy is like. Everybody knows about Adley Rutschman. He's been talked about since he was at Oregon State winning the College World Series. Nobody knew about Cedric Mullins probably until 2021. You know what I mean? When he was finally really, really good. Um, So I don't know that I agree that he's the heart of the Orioles, but I think like if you went around and polled like everybody in the stands at Camden Yards on like a Wednesday night, who's your favorite Oriole? Maybe Mullins gets more answers more than Hmm. Adley Rutschman does. And I don't know if that makes him the heart or not but maybe just sort of a fan favorite type of thing. I don't know. I don't know that I agree with that, what I just said either, but (laughs) Jesse, what's your take? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's kind of difficult. I think, I mean, we have to remember a little bit. I mean, we granted when Adley was in the minors, we'd been waiting for him to come up. Right. But Adley has been on the Orioles just barely over a full season. right? Right. So just barely. So in my mind, at least, yeah, I I sort of kind of give it to Mullins. I was saying sort of before the episode, um, as we were talking, we don't have someone on the team who has sort of seized that position. We don't have someone like Adam Jones, who was amongst other good players on the team, but was more outspoken and more charismatic and more vocal than, say, Marcakis, right? Or some of the other Nelson Cruz or some of these other good uh, Chris Davis, right? Some of the other players. Cruz, maybe, uh, you know, maybe he shouldn't have been in that. One year, but, yeah. Yeah, right, right. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, the those other guys right so jones kind of like took that position and you know because he had that sort of position in the clubhouse then that sort of spread throughout the fan base and uh it was sort of just who he was as a person and uh of course uh cedric mullins is not as outspoken and not as vocal um, and Adley isn't either. So we don't really have someone on the team who sort of, uh, sort of puts themselves in that position or Santander even. Right. Um, cause he's been around for a while and he was a rule five, you know, I mean, yeah. he, obviously, you know, so, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I think about that. But yeah, I think, 
I think overall, like I would give it sort of the edge to Mullins just in the longevity of how long he's been around and, um, and, and also based on his ability. Cause you know, like Eli was saying, he's great. Well, yeah. And I think like, if you were to say Adley's clearly the face of the franchise, I think like we'd probably all agree on that. And then if that eliminates him from heart of the franchise, then, you know, it probably is. Mullins, you know, these are very sort of subtle, just you know, subtle distinctions we're making here. That who's the spark plug? Who's the (laughs) face? It's a car and it's a person at the same time. I don't know, right? Exactly. So, I don't know. We're getting a little in the weeds here, and I'm not able to clearly define (laughs) each of what each of these things are, and by extension, who you know, who has that title or whatever. Fair enough. But it was made for fun discussion online. And, you know, that's kind of what Twitter is good for is having conversations, not always the deepest conversation. So maybe this is a good one to have over there. So go take a look at the tweet, get involved, give us your thoughts there. We'd love to uh, keep chatting about it. But one thing that I do know is that Tyler Wells currently is uh, the Orioles best pitcher. I, I wrote on a on a Camden chat thing the other day in a series preview. I said he looks like the best pitcher on the Orioles. And some commenter did not appreciate that I said looks like instead of is. So if you listen to this podcast, you probably don't because I guess you don't like my writing. So why would you listen to me talk about the Orioles? But uh, he currently is the <laughs> Orioles' best pitcher. Um, uh, Tyler, honestly, made, Tyler made the adjustment. Okay, <laughs> I'm making. The, sorry about that. I, nobody reads the series previews, but you know, apparently that guy got real fired up about it. But uh, anyway, Tyler Wells on the season has thrown 47 innings. He's had 20 allowed 25 hits. 14 earned earned runs, nine walks. His ERA is 2.68 and his whip is minuscule at 0.723 best whip in the American league. Uh, you know, this is coming off of this weekend in Pittsburgh where he had one of the best starts by an Orioles pitch starting pitcher uh, this season looked dominant. Um, Eli as our resident pitching guru. Um, do you have any thoughts or insight in terms of like what, Tyler Wells is doing so well on the mound and, you know, any thoughts or concerns about him continuing to do that as the season goes on? Yeah, I guess the first thing I'll say is that I, I don't expect him to sustain sustain this level of success. Um, adeptly pointed out earlier that his FIP is like almost a full two runs higher than his ERA, you know, so there's some expected regression. He you know, in terms of hard hit percentage, average exit velocity, expected slugging, barrel percentage, he's like well into the bottom half of the league in each of those. Um, But that said, you know, like he's obviously had good results. So I think it was worth taking a look at. And there's no like huge one change from last year. Uh, I think one of the bigger things is he's throwing the four seam about 5% less. And the, you know, the uptick, has been spread up, spread across his other pitches pretty evenly. Um, but so like, you know, his changeup has added about a half inch of run. His cutter has a little bit more lift to it, but it seems like it's mostly the same repertoire as it was last year. I think honestly, one of the biggest things is he's throwing fewer pitches in the zone. Um, and you know, like you expect this big six foot eight guy to be some huge flamethrower and he's not really that and what Tyler Wells is developing into is more of a command artist and more of a like living around the edges and 
you know, using the high spin fastball as a put away, you know, to induce that pop up or to get a swing and miss at the top of the zone. And I, I think, you know, he's not necessarily more wild, but he is throwing fewer pitches in the zone and he's just living around the corners more and more. Um, that half inch of run from his changeup, um, his slider is dancing. And, I, you know, I think that he's just utilizing the side to side aspects of his repertoire more and more this year. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting. You know, I really don't think there's any one thing that he's doing phenomenally better than last year. Um, but as somebody who has been giving up some hard contact, like I just talked about, you know, living on the edges of the zone is exactly what you need to do. And clearly he's been doing that. Um, and sort of the impressive thing about it is he's been able to do that while simultaneously maintaining a super, super low walk rate. Um, walk rate currently at, oh, I lost it, 1.7 per nine. So, yeah. Not walking guys, but simultaneously staying out of the heart of the zone and avoiding any hard damage. That's all you can ask for from a starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. He's kind of uh, kind of recently, I feel like in the last month, he started upticking like strikeouts. He's starting to strike guys out a little bit more often than he was. He was like very content contact oriented all last year as a starter. Wasn't really getting a ton of strikeouts. He started getting more strikeouts this year. Um, players put the ball in play on him a good amount still. And that's kind of where the worry for me is. I think his batting average on balls in play is like under 200. And, you know, in some instances, that is a skill. I, I remember Richard Blyer, like, had a really low BABIP against, but, but he was kind of a funky guy. He got, he, like, that's how he, he worked was just getting weak contact. Um, Tyler Wells is a little bit different pitcher than that, and you would expect his BABIP to be closer to average. Um, and if it does get closer to average, which is usually right around 300, um, then he's going to have some issues. But, yeah, for now, he's – He's surviving and thriving. Um, Jess, you you brought up to us before the podcast that you're you've got some concerns about his inning amount that he's got uh, or his inning total so far. Do you kind of want to elaborate on, on that concern? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, so he's already at forty-seven innings pitched for this season, and uh, his max innings pitched uh, in a regular season ever was one hundred three, and he threw that last year. And normally, um, sort of with younger pitchers, at least the stat I've heard, maybe it's adjusted over time or whatever, but is that pitchers, you don't want to have a guy throw 20% more innings than they did the year before. So um, we're in the middle of May and uh, he's already thrown half of what he did last year. So um, especially with the injury concerns he's had in the past, um, the innings and making sure that he is healthy. Um, I'm not going to say he's a fragile pitcher, but uh, in terms of durability, he hasn't shown us that, you know, he could throw 150 or 200 innings in a season. So um, I do, I do worry about that because um uh, uh, I was going to say Hayes, but Hyde has been sort of uh, not sort of regulating his innings to the same extent that he is with someone like Grayson. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see how he gets utilized moving forward. And especially if we are sort of in a playoff chase, I mean, this is going to be even more essential to start 
uh, finding ways to give him more rest throughout the season so that we have him at the end of the year so that we can throw him whatever it is in game two and game three in the playoffs and kind of taking a long-term view of it. Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little anxious about how uh, we're going to keep him healthy and keep him effective throughout the course, throughout the course of the season. And if we are in the playoffs in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a legitimate concern. Um, He'd had injury concerns before the Orioles got him in the rule five that kind of, I mean, that was partially injuries. I think he had Tommy John and then COVID happened and that delayed stuff further. And, you know, that's that all that was a perfect storm to actually make him available when the Orioles took him from the twins a couple of years ago. And then, yeah, Jesse, last year he had oblique stuff, which then it sounds like he came back and was maybe compensating and that led to shoulder stuff. And that just ended his in his season a little bit early. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a totally fair criticism. I know there was there were stories before the season about his offseason preparation, like he was ready to rock and roll, all that stuff. You know, I feel like those come out every year about every pitcher that ended the season hurt. So I don't know how much stock to put into that. I mean, what I will say is he does look good this year. He is going, he's giving them, he is the most consistent of the Orioles pitchers. I feel like every time he pitches, like Tyler is probably going to go like six innings and be pretty solid. Um, But we saw last year he had a nice first half and then started having the oblique stuff. Things started falling apart a little bit for him. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely worried about it as well. I think he'll be fine through the all-star break and then things are going to start to get a little fuzzy there. Um, you know, I don't know what they do. I, I don't know how you, you maybe skip him every once in a while. We saw him bring Drew Rahm up last week. He didn't pitch, but maybe he kind of comes into the rotation occasionally. Bruce Zimmerman, I think's had a pretty decent season down in Norfolk. You give him a start every now and then Cole Irvin is still lurking around. Um, that's DL what I Hall. DL Hall. Yeah. So, I mean, the Orioles have bodies like quality right. major league type arms that maybe you don't want them in there every fifth day, but maybe once every few weeks you get one of those guys in there. But uh, I don't know, Eli, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of how it has to shake out. Um, I think looking at Wells and looking at Grayson Rodriguez, you know, both yeah. of them are going to need to miss starts. Uh you know, Grayson, maybe for some other reasons after the seven runs he gave up in under four <laughs> innings tonight. But uh, yeah, I no, I think that for the record, I feel the need to give this disclaimer. I do not think Grayson should be sent down right now. I don't want anybody jumping on us if they hear this podcast. I don't think Grayson should be sent down. But um, yes. yeah, Grayson's going to be on the innings limit. Uh, <laughs> Wells definitely should have one. You know, we shouldn't let him throw 150 innings this year. Uh, I, I think that everything everything is going to shake out in the way of potentially we add another arm at the deadline because, you know, as we have talked about, we've got a log jam at AA and AAA of high-end talent that needs somewhere to go. Um, so I think we add another arm, and I think that we've got all the names we just mentioned. You know, the I guess we've got four lefty starters at AAA right now that are yeah. – all pretty much, you know, somebody who can step in and fill in a major league rotation for one week or two weeks, um, ready to go right now. So I, I think that, uh, and especially like Irvin, you know, Tyler was saying he's not striking people out, but he he is throwing, you know, like low run 
<laughs> uh, yeah. ball at Norfolk. So, you know, theoretically he could step in and hopefully he's figured some stuff out while he's down there. Um, but we'll, we'll need to, I think the Norfolk to Baltimore shuttle is going to be going to be active this summer. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, that's hopefully part of the thinking from Michael Elias in the front office in terms of constructing the 40 man is knowing that they pretty much have Kyle Gibson and nobody else that has really thrown a bunch of innings in their career. So kind of to yeah. shuttle some things in John means we'll be back in July is the expectation. He that's should. True. We didn't even mention that. I mean, he should be up to speed once he's ready to pitch. I expect he's going to be like a five, six inning dude every time out. But that they're being a little bit flexible on that timeline. They're saying July, but they're not saying early July, late July, anything. So who knows there? Um, And quickly on Cole Irvin, he's thrown 31 innings for Norfolk this year, struck out 17. Um, His ERA is 3.19. And he's only walked four guys in those 31, which walks – Weren't a concern before the Orioles got him. He walked a bunch of guys, so that's good. But 17 strikeouts in 31 innings worries yeah, me. Striking out less than less than five per nine innings at AAA. It's not great. Not great. We'll see. But kudos to Tyler Wells for being good. Hopefully, you stay good. Um, let's keep on talking pitching. Dean Kramer. We talked about him last podcast, so we're not going to talk about him too long here. But he did have two nice outings, or at least some of us think they were nice outings. uh against atlanta and tampa uh only allowed one earned run over 12 total innings in those two starts um but you two the brothers ginsburg have what you both think are hot takes does does either one of you want to offer it up first i'm happy to go first yeah okay eli's gonna go first i don't know my hot take is that the results were good but like a lot of the underlying stuff about those starts were not that great you know like i he still threw a lot of pitches in the heart of the plate against the Braves. 10 of 19 balls that were put in play were hit hard. And that's per the stack cast definition, you know, over 95 miles an hour. Um, he gave up balls hit at 108, 112, 104, 106 against the Rays. 12 of the 17 balls put in play were hit hard, you know, two balls at 102, 105, 109. Like he's giving up loud, loud contact. And he only struck out three guys against the Braves, four guys against Tampa. You know, he he didn't like go out there and strike out 12 people and not, you know, like not induce any soft contact or, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it, it just like it, they weren't dominating in any way. And of course you can't really expect that against two of the best lineups in the bigs, but if we're going to take a look at these as some serious steps forward, you know, like about half of his pitches were outside the zone, the like spray chart, he still threw plenty of pitches right down the middle of the plate. Uh, The cutters were, you know, still not living on the edges where we want them to be. I I think a lot of the problems that we talked about last time were very much still present in these starts. And, you know, it can be something as simple as like, like we talked about last time, Dean Kramer gets a lot of movement on every pitch that he throws. He really does have a good repertoire. And, you know, sometimes if you have a good repertoire, you will just get lucky. You know, it's as simple as that. Uh, And that can happen two times in a row, but when people squared him up, they really, really squared him up. So I don't think there's been any like huge change that makes him wildly effective now. Um, I think he's largely 
still the same pitcher. We just had some good results this time. And, you know, there had to be some like regression to the mean from the terrible, terrible results that we were seeing earlier this year. All right. So we got one brother saying that he's not as good as his numbers indicate. Jesse, what's your opinion here? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> not the hottest take. I mean, Get this was built as a hot take and he yeah. starts off. Here's what I mean, I, no, well, I my, no, my, my, <laughs> my, I, my, I don't know is in reaction to your comments. Um, I, I do think, right. Like I think Eli's criticism is fair um, of the performances. Um, I did not see the Tampa Bay start, uh, but the Atlanta start, he definitely gave up a lot of hard contact and, you know, that was clear. And the stat line could have looked very differently if a couple long fly balls that were hit against him were hit, you know, 15 feet to the left or right or whatever of where they were. So, I, you know, I'm sympathetic to some of what uh, you're saying, Eli. Um so but but with that said i mean that my when we talked last time one of the big concerns i highlighted was the hit you know him getting hit and him getting hit a lot and he did limit the actual number of hits in each of his starts um in each of his last two starts so i am you know that is that is good um or it's something at least this is not um, a hot take sort of, no okay so okay 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 so here's the hot take the hot take <laughs> i kind of think and i've kind of had this suspicion for a while and granted it is not based on much but i do have the feeling <laughs> that dean kramer is a big game pitcher mm-hmm. i kind of i don't know i feel like i mean first of all he's very intense and he's very serious when he's on the mound all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, well, I remember a long time ago, you, Tyler, talking about Steve Pierce on our team and you saying like he looked like he wanted to kill somebody. Oh, yeah. Steve and... Pierce has something wrong with him, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> so not in a bad Kramer... way, but yeah. right. Kramer <laughs> isn't quite at that level, but like I, don't, I couldn't imagine D Kramer laughing at a joke, for instance. While when he's, he's starting, pitching. yeah, exactly. When he's pitching, right? So, um, of course, on the bench, you see him all the time There's cracking water, up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, but when he's pitching, I could not see. It. So, I, I don't know. I just kind of get the feeling like this is sort of a guy who gets amped up for big games. This isn't based on <clears> just <throat> these two starts. This is also based on, you know, some games in the past that he's pitched, like the but... Astros start last year. Yeah. Oh, right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And Team Israel. Uh, I mean, granted, you know, it's Nicaragua. You put a little asterisk next to that, but yeah, Nicaragua for for the <laughs> so, anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do kind of have this vibe from him that he's a big game pitcher, and I would like to see my theory tested when we get to the playoffs. Oof. That's. So, I mean. Yeah, we're a long way away, and I'm not hey. so sure he's in the rotation in the playoff series. We'll right. say. That's what I was going to say. If this team is in the playoffs and we haven't invested in the rotation to the point where we can get three pitchers better than him, then I think we're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, I think like in my brain right now, obviously Grayson has tarnished this tonight, but like <laughs> if if I think about end of the season, everybody's healthy, no trades have been made, unfortunately. The current, I would say, Gibson means 
Rodriguez and Wells are like the four. That I need some, I need another pitcher. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that is missing a guy, like a big guy. Yeah. But that right now feels like the four. Yeah. Maybe I'm biased because of Grayson's night tonight, but I I think even before that, I think I would have Bradish over Grayson. Yeah. I can see that. Bradish has been trending in the right direction as well. I mean, he he wasn't great in Atlanta, but his stuff looks a little Uh, bit better right now. Right. Right. I mean, I and I I get the urge to have Grace in there. Sure. I mean, I think from what we've seen, I would put Grace, I would put Kramer above both of them, but that's me. Well, I I, I could see Grayson being a really good like bullpen weapon in the in the playoffs right, too. Exactly. So yeah, for sure, absolutely. Know, there's that element, but yeah, I mean, Dean, keep keep pitching well. I mean, the the peripheral numbers are a little worrying, but his peripherals last year weren't great and the outcomes were good. So we could see a repeat there. So um, we'll see. Uh, Last kind of big topic we wanted to hit on was something that, you know, is sort of been bubbling on social media. People mention it every Sunday, especially is that Adley Rutschman is playing every game. Cedric Mullins is playing every game. Ryan Mountcastle is playing every game. Uh, They don't start, every game but typically Brandon Hyde likes to empty out his bench like every single night unless it's a blowout and the Royals just haven't been involved in a lot of blowouts this year now they're only down four runs tonight maybe that doesn't qualify as a blowout but um just kind of it's interesting especially at the catcher position um they're just kind of not giving Adley a breather um he's DHing sometimes he hasn't played any first base yet where I think they talked about that in the offseason a little bit, that he might play some first base. But he's DHing. When he does start on the bench, he usually comes in as a pinch hitter. Sometimes comes in, comes in as a pincher in like the seventh and then does have to catch. Um, you know, it's just kind of odd treatment of a catcher. Mullins and Mountcastle, you can understand a little bit more, but they are also crucial players that you'd love to see have a day off now and then. Um, Jesse, do you have any sort of like thoughts on how Brandon Hyde is, maybe not necessarily Brandon Hyde, but the Orioles in general, are sort of using these players and kind of not really giving them full days off yet this year. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess my question, my big serious question is why, right? Um, I mean, for one, like, I, I don't know. It, part of it just feels like a contradiction, right? Because the the Orioles are sort of treating it as if they're in a playoff hunt that they need every single, but then they don't do anything in the off season, right. To make the team substantially better and treat it as if we're contending for the playoffs. Right. So I'm, I'm concerned about it. I, I mean, I remember complaining last year about Mullins, not just having a day off entirely. Right. And I think that is important because baseball is such a mental game, not just a physical game that when a player uh has to come to the ballpark and potentially anticipate going and playing in a game that is a big difference than coming to the ballpark and knowing you're just going to be on the bench that day right the mental preparation that goes into each of those two scenarios even if you're not even if you are not starting but if you know there's a possibility that you will come into the game right that that changes the entire preparation and really diminishes the extent quote unquote right of the off day that you're actually having and that you're actually experiencing 
And the off day is only significant in in to the extent that the player actually experiences it and feels it as an off day, right? So it it's it does it is it is bothersome because first of all, I mean this is right, this is Adley's first full season on the Orioles, right? They're clearly concerned about not catching him too much, right? That's why he's DHing so frequently. It's not you know, he's not catching Monday through Saturday and then McCann is taking over Sunday, right? Uh, yeah. Day game after a night game, right? So they're clearly demonstrating caution with that. But right, I want him to have like the mental breaks as well as just physical breaks, right? And as far as Mullins in the outfield, I mean, it's sort of the same situation, right? He played so much last year, right? I mean, the guys need days off, right? And um, I think that I think it's important to give players days off where they know there's a zero percent chance they are going to come into the game, and the Orioles are not are not doing that at all. And um, you know, you could you could say, well, I mean, how much at bat? How much does one at bat? Uh, in the ninth inning, like Adley had in the game last uh, yesterday against Pittsburgh, how much is that really affecting him and stuff like that? But right, if you know that you're available and you know that, well, it could be the seventh, it could be the eighth. You know, you're gonna have your pregame routine sort of go the same sort of way. Uh, if you knew you were sitting the whole day, maybe you would just do some light jogging, do some light light tossing you know or something like that um but you sort of have to if you might come into the game you have to prepare sort of as if you will come into the game right so that's that's sort of where my questions about this really are and it it, it is not i i don't think that uh it's a formula that uh is sustainable in the sense that uh you're not setting yourself up to have the best team throughout the course of the entire season. I understand that not having Adley hit in that game yesterday, uh, you know, down four runs with two on and two outs. I understand how not having them hit could severely, you know, reduce your chances of winning that game. That's clear to me, right? I mean, it severely reduced our chances by not starting him, you know, right. even DH, right? But you you sort of have to, right, like we're playing a long game here. And you have to sort of make these short-term sacrifices in certain moments for the long-term benefit and health and well-being and, sust and sustainability of this team providing uh, performing well throughout the entire course of the whole season. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really well said. I, yeah, I don't have a lot to add there. I would just say like in other sports too, like in basketball, especially load management has become like sort of an in vogue term. And I know some people hate it. And the whole thing is more about fans paying to see the team and then the best players don't play or whatever. But look, that's like, that's the game. I mean, that's the sport you're, you're gearing up for the playoffs ultimately. Now, I guess the difference there would be saying, you know, half the league makes the playoffs in the NBA or more than half the league or whatever it is. And baseball, that's not the case. The Orioles are certainly not guaranteed a playoff spot right now. So they need to maximize every possible day. Um, and Jesse kind of covered that, but you know, you won't, you sometimes have to reduce your odds of winning one day to increase your odds of winning the next day. So 
yeah, I, I agree with that. Eli, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I yeah, I I think Jesse said it well. I, I think that the only thing is to add is that like this just screams that, you know, the dog days of August when yeah. you are post all-star break and it's ninety-five percent humidity outside and eighty-seven degrees, it you know, the the Orioles are gonna take a downturn. At, I do worry about it, and especially like you know, you guys talked about Adley and Cedric mostly, but we add Mountcastle onto that as somebody who, you know, has known or who is known to have these really long, like downturn stretches, these big slumps, uh, you know, that kind of thing definitely could seem to be fading down the stretch, could seem to be as the year drags on, little nagging injuries. You know, he seems like somebody, you know, less of a, load management standpoint in terms of like he's the most important player so we need to make sure he's okay he seems like somebody that needs it in terms of his body has typically not like kept up a constant level of production throughout an entire season so get him some time just to make sure that he is feeling okay you know as often as possible yeah, and I mean, I would imagine, you know, we're not privy to every conversation that happens in the clubhouse. I'm sure Brandon Hyde is talking to his guys and, like, getting their input on stuff. But sometimes, I mean, what is a player going to say? Like, especially a younger guy like Rutschman right. or, or right. Mountcastle even. Like, no, coach, I'm good. Like, yeah, of course they're going to say that. Like, they're competitors. Mm-hmm. They, they want to be out there. But sometimes you as the, the adult in the room, that sounds mean to say. But, you know, the boss. I mean, <laughs> Brandon, Brandon Hyde is their boss, technically. You got to say like, no, we're going to give you a breather and we got an off day tomorrow. Let's get two days in a row. You know, that's just kind of what you got to do sometimes. So we'll see. I I can't see a season in where your catcher plays every single game, but I wouldn't have thought a month and a half in he would have played every single game either. And that yeah. has happened. So it, it's got to break at some point. There's just no way. Yeah. Um. All right. A couple quick notes before we, uh, uh, well, it's like a, a series of quick notes here. It's like eight different things. So strap in for a little bit longer, but um, <laughs> a lot of stuff happening on the infield right now. Jorge Mateo, we talked about him in glowing terms a few weeks ago. Um, things have gone a little sour for him. Uh, last seven games, he's two for 22 with just a pair of hits, an RBI and a stolen base. Um, are we at all concerned about his offensive struggles? Eli, maybe I'll go to you uh, first. Are you are you worried about him? Yes. <laughs> Jesse, are you worried about him? <laughs> no. Oh my god, now, he looks exactly like the player he was last year. He's well, like yeah. stopped taking walks. His strikeout rate has gone back up over thirty percent. I'm not. I'm not concerned yet. But okay, I I like. Do I think that the guy we saw two weeks ago and talked about glowingly is still there? Yes. Do I think that? That's the truest form of him, not necessarily. Do I think that this is the truest form of him? Not necessarily. Like, I think he will even out somewhere in the middle. That said, like, he looks pretty bad. <laughs> well, and it's bad timing, too, for it to happen the same time as Ramon Urias getting hurt with, I think it was a hamstring um, yeah. or a quad, and he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. So instead of being able to say, like, hey – or I take a day and we'll slide Gunner over or put Ramon at third. He can't really do that now. He's kind of got to play every day. Well, they um, had Ortiz, though, play Sunday. Yeah, that's they true. Had yeah. Play short. So, so they, that could be an interesting wrinkle then, too. I mean, 
see because that's been something people have been talking about is what is the plan with all the infield prospects and this is this gives joey an opportunity then to kind of come up and see what he can do but uh yeah i mean it's like what eli said this is this is the same old jorge for right now but it's only been a week you know players have bad weeks adley had a bad week recently and is still really good um so yeah it, it is what it is but I wouldn't say I'm like overly concerned about it. And I don't really know what you can do to fix him. I, at a certain point, he is the player that he is, but um, we'll see. We'll revisit this in a couple of weeks. I'm sure. Um, as far as the Yuri Ask injury, uh, Jesse, uh, how big of an, of a loss is Yuri Ask for a couple of weeks? And, you know, it's, it's what did the Orioles do to kind of cover for him? I, I don't think it's a huge deal. I mean, he's sort of been struggling to get, real consistent playing time um so i don't i don't think the orioles are gonna miss a whole lot um but uh i i wish we still had him uh i actually wish yuri ass was <laughs> hot getting take. i wish he was not hurt yeah i mean I, I i wish he also got a little bit more playing time than he did but that's okay um but uh no i think the orioles will be fine and they'll survive and um yeah it's it's unfortunate though so eli what are your thoughts yeah the last thing on our list was gunner henderson and like whether he's improving and and so i think it all kind of ties in together here because ramon going down right further necessitates more time for gunner and and mateo on the field and you know gunner is showing some signs of life you know he's slugging almost 600 over the last seven games but Mateo is taking this downturn. So, you know, necessitating more time for them on the field. Like I think calling up Joey, this was about the perfect time for it just because they are in a situation where they need a shortstop capable guy to give Mateo a little bit of a reset, you know, give him a day off every now and then. Um, so I, I think that Ramon really was that person, you know, the one who could, you could slide him in at third slide gunner over to short then you have a good major league outfield, you know, going around Ramon Gunner Frazier um, and losing Urias is definitely just a hit to the depth and a hit to your flexibility. And, you know, the Orioles ability to mishmash their infield as much as they wanted was clearly something that they valued at the beginning of this year, you know, carrying a pretty deep infield roster. So mm-hmm. I, I think uh, Urias hurts like from that standpoint, but we are, uh, uh, you know, I don't think the like top level performance of the Orioles is really impacted by this at all. No, yeah, it's just he definitely does like lengthen the lineup. I feel like when you have the lineup and he's hitting like sixth or seventh, you're like, oh, like that's a pretty good like major league lineup, like a 270 guy batting down there has like 15 home run power type of dude. Like that just makes For the sure. lineup feel a lot more dangerous. Um, and I think eventually once Gunner is going and is living up to his potential that won't be as big of a concern because that'll make the lineup feel, feel deeper, but Gunner is getting better. His at-bats are always competitive, but we're still waiting for the hits to come and, you know, the hits will be loud when they do come, but we're still waiting for that. So I think for this two weeks, it's going to be, you know, I think the offense is going to be impacted a little bit. It's not going to be detrimental. He's not the star of the team, but I think he's like, I don't know, like one of their better offensive players 
play, like one of their better everyday yeah. type players. So he, I think he's like a key role player <clears throat> on the team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see. It's it is good for Gunner in that he's going to play every day. He's going to be third base every day versus like j- jumping back and forth, having a day off. Like maybe for him, this consistency will be good. Um, we'll see. We've we've got a couple weeks to find out about that. So uh, we'll see. Um, other notes. It sounds like Michael Givens and Dylan Tate are expected back sometime soon. They've both been on pretty extended rehab stints here. Um, it makes some sense since they kind of had weird spring trainings. Uh, haven't pitched a ton, but it sounds like they're going to come back sometime in the next week or so. It sounds likely that I would imagine Mike Ballman and, and Logan Gillespie are the arms demoted, um, but uh, there's always the chance that they maybe decide to finally DFA Austin Voth or or do something a little bit awkward there. Maybe they go with a four-man rotation for a couple days to boot, beef up the bullpen. You know, who knows, but... Um, that's sort of the situation there. Uh, Luis Terenz was DFA'd. You may have missed that he was even on the team because he did not play for the Orioles, but he did sit on the bench for a couple days. So uh, that was cool. He elected free agency today. Um, so he will not be with the Orioles for the foreseeable future. Did you guys have any favorite parts of Luis Terenz playing for the Orioles that you'd like to share? Okay. No. The silence is, is exactly. <laughs> no. Um, Taryn Vavra is back up with the Orioles playing uh, right field today. Uh, He was working as a catcher with the tides for a bit. Uh, The tides had just one catcher um, when the Orioles were on the road because they still have that uh, taxi squad going on. And that always has a catcher on it. Uh, So one of the Norfolk catchers was up there. So Vavra actually caught a few innings with Norfolk. He's apparently still doing some workouts with the catchers now that he's with the Orioles. Um, and as Jesse pointed out, I think before the pod, he's kind of the new version of Ryan Flaherty. Uh, Jesse, does that excite you at all about Taryn Vavra more than you were previously? Nope. Okay. Nope. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, I was always, I, I think I remember talking about it on this podcast, but I was always sort of critical about how Buck was so favorable towards Ryan Flaherty. And it was nice he could play a few positions, but. He was not uh, at all inspiring. So, I, if uh, I don't think we need a, a uh, I don't think we need a Ryan Flaherty on this Orioles team. Yeah, there was a uh, on Camden chat. I do the bird droppings every few days, and you part of that is just like doing like this day in Orioles history. And one of them was that that day in 2012 when the Orioles let off a game against the Rangers with back to back to back home runs. I think it was the first AL team ever to do that. And the leadoff hitter that day was Ryan Flaherty. And like people in the comment section were like, why was Ryan Flaherty hitting leadoff for the Orioles in 2012? Um, Buck liked him. He was a rookie that year. So it was before he really knew he wasn't very good, but um, yeah, just an interesting Ryan Flaherty memory there. I was at that game. Actually. I remember that. Even (laughs) if we didn't know he wasn't very good, we should have known he shouldn't be hitting a leadoff. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was Flaherty, JJ Hardy, and I think Nick Markakis. So, JJ Hardy hitting second is extremely questionable too, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, other notes here, Drew Rom, we mentioned him earlier. He was promoted this week and then demoted immediately. Didn't pitch, but kind of interesting. He's a guy that was just added to the 40 man this past offseason to protect him from the rule five, having a really good season with Norfolk. Um, not a guy that I thought was like, 
I, I thought he'd be up at some point this year, not necessarily in mid-May, um, but kind of neat there, kind of gives yours another option there as potentially um, a spot starter this season. So excited about that. I mean, he's a pitcher, Eli. I don't know if you have any initial thoughts on Drew Rahm uh, that you want to share. I, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing about him is he had always been called just a soft contact pitchability guy. Um, and over the last year or so, his strikeout rates have been going up. So he, he's definitely been refining himself and making himself look the part of a major league pitcher as his time has gone along. Yeah, very cool. Um and then the last note here is just Kyle Stowers, as of this uh, recording, he was sent back down. He's kind of back on that Norfolk shuttle shuttle up and down. Seems like right now the Orioles prefer to have Taryn Vavra up with his uh, – did you hear this motorcycle just go by really loud? did hear that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let me just say the Kyle Stowers part again real quick. So the final note here is just that Kyle Stowers has been up and down. As of this recording, he has been back down to Norfolk. Uh, it seems like the Orioles are kind of going to go more for Taryn Vava right now with the flexibility, including apparently the ability to do some catching where Stowers has really struggled in the moments he has had. Uh, he had that uh, really nice defensive play a couple weeks ago where he gunned the guy out with a, like a 98 mile per hour throw from left, but then he bungled a ground ball in right field the other day. So it's kind of all over the place for him. He's going to go back to Norfolk where he's been really good this season um, and just kind of wait for an opportunity that, May or may not come. I don't know. Colton Kowser is uh, kind of starting to take over that next man up job for outfield. And I, I'm not so sure how many more opportunities Kyle Stowers is going to have. But for now, that's his situation. Yeah, we talked about that before the season and saying that Stowers had just like a couple months to really prove himself. And I think that Kowser has maybe even shortened that time. You know, he's just looked unbelievable at AAA. So. Yeah, we'll and, here. and that was after Kowser was pretty bad the first like week or so in Norfolk, striking out a ton, and that has just been totally wiped away. Um, which I'm excited about. I mean, you know, all respect to Kyle Stowers, I think he could do a nice job in a big league lineup if he got consistent playing time. But that's just not the situation the Orioles are in right now, and uh, we got to win games, and that's that's how things are going. But yeah, that's going to wrap up all of our topics here. Uh, in the next week or so, the Orioles have these four games against the Angels, and then they go to Toronto for the first time this year. We'll see the new dimensions at Rogers Center. Um, oh, yeah. It definitely, like, looks better on TV now. I used to, like, hate watching games in Toronto because it just was ugly. Whatever they've done, it's much more appealing on TV. So kind of excited about that. Um, and more home runs. Yeah, more home runs. Uh Hopefully the Orioles win some games. The Blue Jays are uh, an important opponent this year. So we'll see there. Um, anything you guys are looking out for this week? For the can, Orioles? I, can, I, can I just say Otani in his last at-bat probably of this game got a single instead of the double he needed to hit for the cycle. So he went four for five with two singles, a home run, and a triple. So I, I will also say I did see a tweet during this podcast that he was the first pitcher in ALNL history to have a single triple home run and walk also. It's honestly, so. it's a pretty, this is disappointing that the Orioles are going to lose though, because this is like classic tungsten arm O'Doyle tweet <laughs> and <laughs> right. they're going to win. Yeah, they are going to win. So that's a bummer. Yeah. It's so amazing. You just like, 
I mean, every day, if you are like in the baseball Twitter verse, you know, there is a new Shohei Otani is the first person to do this since 1904. You yeah. know, there it's there's one of these every single day. The guy's insane. He, he hit about 456 feet today, 114 miles an hour. Yeah, while while pitching, and I mean, he didn't pitch that well today, but still, the fact that he was pitching at all, pretty incredible. Yeah. We we were talking about uh, before the podcast how we need to like set up a you know a GoFundMe and you know to have the Orioles sign him in the off season, but yeah, I don't think that would happen. We you know there's oh. I I would shed tears. Oh, I mean yeah. I would I would I would legitimately cry tears of joy. Yeah, we would bow down to him. You know when we went to the ballpark, <laughs> and I mean we do everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it wasn't that much that we'd be doing. Yeah. Just going down to the ballpark and but we'll do a lot more. That's actually, you know, standard Japanese custom. So I would probably do that. Yeah. I I was thinking that I I don't mean like a like a standing bow. I mean, like getting on your hands and knees and like we're not as if if like royalty is like walking through, you know, I I did think about that. But yeah. So, well, maybe maybe we'll be talking about that this offseason. He's going to there. You know, there's going to be one rumor out there it's gonna be like the Orioles are kicking the tires on Shohei uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> all 30 teams in the league are gonna kick the tires you know yeah so but we will we have course... nothing on our payroll because we refuse to extend anybody so uh, Elias might like offer them hey you know we could do like 200 million dollars and you know over 10 years if you want to do that you can come play for us I don't know <laughs> yeah Fangraphs did do something about contract extensions the, these past couple of weeks, and they mentioned Adley Rutschman, and they said a reasonable extension for him would be six years, one hundred and forty-one million dollars. That includes buying out arbitration, so it would really only be like two yeah. years of free agency. Um, right, but I don't know. That sounds reasonable. I haven't sounds had fun. A, yeah, but so far haven't done. It. Honestly, I, he is a catcher, but it's not the Julio Rodriguez extension that. Uh... No, I think we were kind of all hoping for, but he's older. Adley's yeah. older. We always have to remember that. Like he is only Ad, Ad, in his second right. year, but he's twenty five, I think. And he's a catcher. And he's so. a catcher, so he's basically yeah. forty five years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got um, two more good years in him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pro- um, probably a non tender in a couple of years in his second yeah. second year of arbitration. God, oh my God, don't even say that. But. <laughs> All right, well, that's all we got for this week's episode. We'll probably be back here in a couple weeks, uh, either to wrap up May or kick off June. Um, what you guys can do to support the podcast, give us a follow over on Twitter, at The Warehouse Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else. Uh, just look for us. We'll, we'll pop up there. There's also a podcast, like, literally about, like, managing a warehouse. So, like, that's not us. We're the baseball one. So just make sure you click on the right one. Um <laughs> And then you can also go to the warehousepod.substack.com and uh, give us our e- our e- your email address there, and we'll just send you the podcast uh, once a week to your inbox if you'd prefer to do it that way. So all kinds of ways to connect with us. Um, I think that's all we've got, guys. Uh, anything to add before we get on out of here? No. All ne- set. Never do. <laughs> you ask every time. But... I know. Well, I want to leave room for the for Je- I, Jesse, no. Jesse to say something insane in the last two seconds. <laughs> I definitely appreciate it, Tyler, because Anytime. sometimes 
sometimes I do think I take that time. So, but I'm good for tonight. <laughs> all right. Very good. Well, thank you all for listening as always. Uh, until next time, this has been the warehouse podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli.